the Israelites developed heart problems in the wilderness, hardened hearts. To you, the heart is not just the seat of emotions. It's the seat of decision-making. The heart is where you determine what you're going to do and what you're going to invest in and what you're going to listen to. The heart makes or breaks spiritual responsiveness. Hard-heartedness produces spiritual unresponsiveness, heel marks in the sand. And what the writer is suggesting, whether in terms of dealing with heart problems, suggesting that entering God's rest is the antidote, what he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. When he does, he identifies the disobedience that happens in the wilderness and says, let us therefore make every effort to enter God's rest. What it literally says, be rest and rest and be quick about it. The word, the Greek word that says make every effort, it's the word from which we get the word speed. So what it's saying, rest and be quick about it. That if you want to identify a goal to pursue with all effort, entering God's rest is that goal. What it will end up doing, it will end up taking care of the kind of issues that lead to non-responsiveness, grumbling and fault-finding and negativity and all those things. The writer is suggesting that if we learn to enter God's rest, that's what we do to take care of all of those other issues. Entering God's rest, then, is not nice. It's not a nice thing that God commands us to do. It's necessary. It is the antidote for hard-heartedness. Um, the writer of the letter suggests that restlessness is at the root of rebellion and bitter resentment, disbelief-based disobedience, unbelief. Those issues that concern us with respect to our spiritual life, the writer is suggesting that entering, again, entering God's rest is the way we deal with them. It's, that's why entering God's rest is necessary. And he ends up suggesting a surprising reason why um, rest is so important. He says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then it goes on. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It paints a picture of the word of God that existed at the time. And at the time, the word of God that they had were the 39 books of the Old Testament. The 27 books of the New Testament weren't developed until 300 to 400 AD. When it talks about the influence of the word of God, the Old Testament, it describes it as all are exposed. To be exposed, it needs one of two things. It, if you can picture in your mind two wrestlers, 
and one wrestler has another wrestler around the neck. That is a that is a chokehold, and that puts that wrestler in a very vulnerable spot because if someone has you around the neck, you are in desperate straits. It could mean that. That's the image that all are exposed. We are subjected to a chokehold. And it's another image, when an animal was about to be slaughtered, they would tilt the neck back and to deliver the slicing blow. The idea of being exposed and naked is an image of total exposure and utter defenselessness in the presence of God. God's surveillance is exhaustive. Nothing escapes his scrutiny. The image, it's not a pleasant image. It's like being strip searched, naked and exposed. Being strip searched, there's a sense of restlessness that is created. The word of God, again, is the Old Testament of the scriptures. Uh, Jesus commented on this. That's what he said. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses, sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, and they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The influence of the religious leaders at the time was burdensome and heavy, and Jesus is not objecting, I don't think, to the weight of the Pharisees' teaching, because the burden of the laws that they had to impose were burdensome. The problem is that they did nothing to ease the load. It said they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The Old Testament word of God does promote exposure, weariness, burden, and restlessness. However, the Old Testament is not God's, it is God's word, but not God's last word. God doesn't leave the load in place, but it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament Hebrew word for glory is the word kabod. And kabod is, is something weighty, something heavy and burdensome. The New Testament word, Greek word for doxa, for glory, is doxa. And again, doxa means more the way you think of someone. It's like an opinion, especially someone who cares about you if you're going to visit somebody for Easter and you walk into the house of somebody that you haven't visited for a while, they look at you and their face lights up. That's the image of doxa. That's the image of the Greek word for glory. And the difference between the glory in the old 
and the glory in the new is different. There are almost two different images here. The Old Testament sense of glory is evaluation, being scrutinized, being looked at, determining if you're measuring up or not. It's evaluation. That's the Old Testament word, kabod. The New Testament word is a different word. It's not evaluation. It's valuation. It's somebody looking at you, and by the look in their eyes, you can see that they esteem you. There's not the sense of load. There's not the sense of burden. There's a sense of caring. There is a sense of, I care about you. And those are the different senses. Well, but each of the word, each is the word of God. There's the word of God in the Old Testament, and there's the word of God in the New. Did God make a mistake? No. But which is the word of God? Both? Do we throw them in a blender and make a smoothie? Is it one or the other? Um, Jesus is the word of God in a full and final sense. If there's a difference between what Jesus says and we find earlier, Jesus' word trumps every word that came before. Um, all other expressions of God's word are trumped by Jesus' word, the old word of God reflects law. As it says, the new word of God reflects grace and truth. And in offering grace and truth, offers rest. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, but such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. When he talked about who is it who it is that ends up understanding what Jesus says, it says it wasn't the wise and learned. It was little children. The wise and learned are those who are pretty quick to speak. They know a lot of things, and they say what they know. When it talks about little children, the literal rendering of the word for little child is one who hasn't learned to speak yet. That's the image. So you've got the wise and learned who are very eager to express what they know, to talk about all the things they know. And then you've got a little child, and a little child is not at that place of development. They listen. What they're doing, they're taking words into their mind, and they're learning. They're learning to think. And what Jesus ends up saying, those who end up understanding what he's saying are not the ones who want to talk about all that they know, but the ones who don't, but the ones who listen. We have two ears and one mouth. And those who end up understanding what Jesus is saying, listen. They take Jesus' words and they 
why to make room for them in their mind the way a little child when the little child looks and and listens and is learning what words are and what they mean that's what jesus invites us to do who finds rest it's not the brilliant and it's not the smart it's those who listen and not just those who listen to the Bible, but who listen to the word of God that the Bible ends on, who make room for Jesus' words. What does Jesus say? It's what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Hmm. Talked about this before. It's the only place in the Bible I'm aware of where Jesus says, I am, and he puts an adjective in there. He could have put any kind of adjective in there. He puts nouns in there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the only one I'm familiar where he puts an adjective in. He could put a lot of adjectives in there, couldn't you? I'm truthful. I am your master. I'm the one who tells you what to do. I am agitated at the state of the world. Nobody he fills it in with. I'm gentle, humble in heart. It's easier to learn from someone who's gentle, isn't it? You think about a teacher you had? I remember a teacher I had, I had Mr. White for eighth grade history. And Mr. White was fearful. He would, he, he would walk around from desk to desk, and he had a way of craning his neck, and he'd kind of come by you, and then he'd, he'd just look at your paper, and then if you didn't have everything just right, you just went down and crumpled it and threw it there. I was afraid of Mr. White. <laughs> I can't say that I learned very much from him. Well, that's kind of that's kind of the way it is. Um, Jesus offers rest. Who is it that is able to take him up on it? It's not the smart and the and the it's not the smart and the brilliant. It's those who are more like little kids who, look, you ever see how a little kid looks? If, if they're looking at you, especially when they're an infant, and the way they stare, you've seen that, haven't you? They just, they're just so focused. And that's what, that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to focus on him the way a little kid will focus on mom and dad. And the mom and dad, they they're not afraid of. Jesus gives two invitations that lead to experiencing his rest. So what are we supposed to do? We can't see him. Here's what he says, come to him. And he says, take his yoke. Take his yoke and learn from him. We talked about that before. But there's a very specific command here to take a yoke in the context 
especially when you're talking to a teacher or in that sense, a rabbi. Here's what, and I've told you this before, really briefly. When you were a kid in Israel at the time, there were three levels of schooling. It begins at age six in the synagogue. And from age six to age 10, you go to synagogue school five days a week. And in synagogue school, you learn the first five books of the Bible, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you are, and that's where most schooling ends at that time. Most children then, that was it. And then at age 11, they would maybe follow after their dad and do the work that he did. But some students were pretty bright. And from age 11 to 15, I believe, then you would go to the second level of synagogue school and you would learn the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the 39 books. If you were exceptionally smart, most that's the end of education. The PhD level in Israel was somebody who was very bright and they were able to get a rabbi as their mentor. And so here's the way it worked, that you would bind yourself to a rabbi. And from the ages of 15 or 16 until age 30, you would sit at the feet of that rabbi. Most of the education was oral. It wasn't a bunch of books. And so what you would do for 14 to 15 years is sit at the feet of that rabbi, ask questions, speak, listen, and you. the goal was to come out on the far side that your thoughts and words were exactly like the rabbi's thoughts and words. That's what it means when Jesus talked about that they may be one as we are one. To be one with Jesus, it's not just to be close, it's to say what he says, to think about the Father like he thinks about the Father. That's what was involved when you sat at the feet and learned to think like the rabbi thought, that what's, what, that's what was called taking the yoke of the rabbi. The yoke of the rabbi is learning to think and speak as the rabbi thought and speak, and it took an awful long time. And what was the process like? You would sit at the feet of a rabbi for so much time over so many years. It's not a quick process. You can't do it in a year. You couldn't do it in two years. You couldn't do it in five. You couldn't do it in 10. That's the way, that's what Jesus talks about when he talks about take his yoke upon. Some rabbis were better than others. Some were really harsh. Paul had a really good rabbi, Gamaliel, really. And he had the privilege of being one of Gamaliel's disciples. And Paul was a great student. Um, the promise, I got a question. What would keep us from sitting at Jesus' feet? Not us, anyone. What would keep somebody from sitting at Jesus' feet? Um, when Jesus talks about finding rest for our souls, he's talking about a promise from Jeremiah. Here's what it says. Um, and this is from Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote at a time where the 
The southern kingdom of Israel was about to go into captivity. It was really a desperate time. And look what it talks about in terms of their ability to sit and learn. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. Let's say you're trying to tune in someone, a radio broadcast. You need two things. You need a transmitter and you need a receiver. If you've got a bad transmitter, you're not going to get the signal. If you've got a, your transmitter's okay, but your receiver's not, you're not going to get the signal. And what Jeremiah is talking about, there were some bad transmitters. At the time, they were prophets and priests alike who were greedy for gain, and they would claim to speak for God, but they weren't. Bad transmission. And when you've got a bad transmitter, you really can't learn very much. And that can be a problem. Going to places, how do you know whether a place reflects what Jesus' words are? How would you know that? Well, a place that reflects Jesus would be biblical. Is that enough? You can be biblical and feel weighty and condemning. Would you agree with me? You know what, what Jesus is going to suggest, the way you can know whether it's him or not? Over a period of time, if you go in and learn and you listen and you go out and you listen and you go out, if you, if you go in this burdened and you come out this burdened, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign, because what Jesus said, I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So ongoing over the years, again, learning requires some effort, and it does it. And when Jesus is inviting us, he's gentle and humble in heart. What he says, you're going to have to learn in order to be a disciple. You have to learn to be a disciple because the disciple is a learner. But how do you know whether you're at a place where the learning is from him? There should be a sense of over the years, the burden should feel less like this. And you should walk out less burdened than you walked in. But there's not just transmitter issues. But it says at Jeremiah's time, there were receiver issues as well. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, nah, we're not going to walk in it. That's a receiver issue be hearing, and they're not willing to, be, to find rest. Kind of strange, isn't it? Would you agree with me? The thing that everyone on the planet is looking for is rest. We might associate it with different things. Some people associate it with a, back, a fat bank account. Some people associate it with great relationships, some people associate it with power. We associate rest with different things. Would you agree with me? Would you agree? The thing that everyone is looking for is rest.
God offered rest for their souls, they said, why would a person refuse rest? Good question, isn't it? Sometimes we get so burdened and we are so used to something. If something's associated with being burdensome, like church. Some people won't go to church because it's associated with burden, but it's not supposed to be. Talks about receivers. Says, I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. Listen, but you said we will not listen. Paul, in his last letter, when he's about to sign off, he spent his lifetime reflecting Jesus' words to those who understood that the God of the Bible is fearsome and a lawgiver, and Paul says, no, he isn't. And Paul suffered because he told the truth about that. But then Paul gets to the end, and he observes something. You know what Paul observed? In Israel, because of the way they taught things, you sat, you went to a synagogue, and you went to that place year at the feet. And what ended up happening in the Roman Empire, they didn't have the same type of discipline with respect to learning. Now, understand what I'm saying. In the Roman Empire, it wasn't one teacher. There was a bunch of teachers. And if you went to this one, and eh, I don't like that one that much. Then you'd flit over to this one. This one, eh, nah, 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 I got this one. And, and it was, it's like a bee just flitting from flower to flower. You know, you stay here for a while, and then over there. And you know what Paul understood? That if you flit from flower to, well, look what he says. Time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what the rich in years want to hear. What is describing? Paul says, in the last days, there will be receiver problems. Even when there's transmission, people will lack the ability to stay in one place long enough to learn anything, flitting from this place to that place. And the reason why I flip from this place to that place, that doesn't scratch my itch. So I'll go over to this place. Oh, that scratches my itch. Oh, that feels good. Same thing. And we've talked, you know, like the way, you know, you hit dogs when you got that sweet spot. You know, that's, that's kind of, and it's the, it's the same thing from a learning perspective. We get addicted to hearing what we want to hear. And sometimes what we want to hear is not restful. What Jesus said relative to being a receiver, well, what is he saying? What it seems to be suggesting here, let us therefore strive to enter that rest Well, none of you may be found to fall short of. Have as your goal rest. 
Can you make that your goal? I think it's what everybody wants. Jesus is offering it. You know what he says? I'm gentle and humble in heart. Learn from me. Don't buzz from place to place. Well, look what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Listen to what I say about the Father. And what Jesus says about the Father, he says it in a gentle, humble way. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly and high. You'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're going to leave. What's the litmus test? Find a place where truth is offered gently. If it's harsh and somebody claims to be speaking for God, turn off the channel. Leave the meeting. If you're picking up a book and it does that, close the book. Don't sit in a place that's not Jesus. Find a place. It's going to be sound self-serving, but I don't mean it this way. With this covenant clarity. Find a place where the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are distinguished from one another. Because when you make a Bible smoothie, it doesn't work. It's Jesus came and reflects grace and truth. So when you, when you have that place, sit there. Learn year after year after year. And I, I will speak about this place. I understand why this place would be kind of tiring someplace. Because I end up saying the same thing year have to do is that true? And you know what? If I'm around and it's five years from now, I'm gonna be saying the same thing. Because you know what Jesus said? Come to me, all you warrior burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You find rest for your soul. And that's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to continue to sit and understand that Jesus is God, the new covenant. And we'll talk about that in coming weeks. Because we, as we sit and listen to that, you know what ends up happening? Little by little, that place in our heart, the spiritual place starts to rest. And as we understand and can do that, it starts to change us. We end up becoming more like our rabbi, Jesus. Let's stand for closing prayer. Jesus, thanks for saying this stuff, inviting us to come to you. We don't need to be seminarians. We don't need to be theologians. We just need, well, we just need to be willing to listen what you say. Just to sit and listen. That might mean reading. It might mean being in church, podcasts, but it would mean listening to things that reflect gentleness. So I guess I'd ask that if we are exposed to things that are not like that, help us to close the book. Help us to leave the meeting. Help us to turn off the radio or the TV, whatever it is. 
help us to distinguish between what is promoting rest and what isn't. And that's hard, but we don't have to do that alone. We have one another. We don't have to do this alone. That's why gathering in a place like this, learning from one another, it's, it's helpful. Talk to one another. And I ask that would happen here. If we confuse, people would talk not just to me, to one another. And so we get to learn together. That's what disciples did. It wasn't a one-on-one. It was a group of disciples to sat at the feet of a rabbi. So we are all learning together. And I pray that we would learn from one another and give us the ability to sit and listen and learn, because that's how we find rest. And rest is what we're looking for. If, if it's behavior or whatever we're looking for, rest is the doorway. Thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen.